Good morning. Welcome to First City. I'm Rick, one of the ministers here. Thank you so much for being here. Open your Bibles or uh, your iPads, your iPhones, turn the cell, turn the ringer off to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. We're going to be in that chapter pretty much all, all morning. It's going to take us a little bit to get there, but when we get there, we're going to land. John chapter 9, read about the blind man and all the people in this intersection. Well, so this is our second week of 21 days of prayer. And, man, there is a lot going on, just like Erica was talking about. I, I want, if you're un, unaware, and I don't want to uh, uh, embarrass the Merediths and, or put them on the spot, but Shannon uh, lost her mother to a long-term illness last week, and then on Monday we had the funeral, and then uh, two days later her father suddenly passed away from a heart attack, and it has been a very hard Week. I mean, as you can imagine, uh, she walked so faithfully with her mother just through her illness, and her father was amazing. I know because I watched him. I was I, I was there with him, and that man loved his wife so much. And uh, and maybe it was that he couldn't see his life going on without her. I don't I don't know, but I know for a daughter to lose a mother and then to lose a father back to back like that. What a devastating week, right? And so in this time of prayer, uh, I just, it's on my mind a lot. And so what I want to do is just pause and just pray specifically for that family. I know there's a lot of other things going on. RJ and Haley were here this morning in first service. This is their last Sunday with us. They're moving to Virginia. There's some people celebrating things. The Campbells had their, their baby a couple days a week, a couple days ago, just Xander Rush healthy, doing well, uh, and other things. Just all, We're family, right? So there's a lot of good going on, and there's a lot of grief happening. But I just want to pause and just pray God's Spirit over all of that. So will you join me just right now as we begin our message? Lord God, we are family, and in our family there are those grieving, and there are those celebrating. And we're laughing and we're crying and it's all happening at the same time. And we all know that you are Lord over all. Lord, my heart is with Shannon and her family and the loss of both of her parents. And the long-term illness and the sudden passing. But I know Shannon very well. And just like the psalmist today in Psalm 73, she is praising you in all of it. Because as much as her heart breaks, she is comforted that her parents are sitting with you. And they are looking down, and their prayer for their daughter is that the hope inside you is real. And we are here. And one day we eagerly await your arrival. Lord God. I pray that you draw us together as a family, strengthen our unity, strengthen our purpose, strengthen our mission. We celebrate with those who celebrate, we weep with those who weep, and we do so gladly because you have brought us into a family of love and mercy and grace and forgiveness, a place where we know we belong and we passionately seek you in everything. Bless our time together as we open your word and celebrate your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. 
thank you for thank you for that. Hey, by the way, my wife and I two weeks ago decided to go out to eat, and uh, and we landed on Chili's, the new Chili's up by the mall. And so we went in and we sat down at a table for two, and we're on a little date. And uh, and so this girl came over and she said, "Can uh, can I take your order? Just what would you like to drink?" And so we're giving our drink order, and I recognized the pen in her hand but i couldn't see it completely and i said does that pen in your hand have any writing on it she said uh yeah it says first city church and i'm like oh i know that place and like i'm i'm one of the ministers i'm one of the pastors there at that place she goes oh you know (laughs) like she did but for whichever one of you took your pen and gave it to someone at Chili's. God bless you. Thank you for spreading the good news, right, of just who we are and Jesus Christ because it gave me an opportunity to share Jesus with her. And I invited her. Now, I don't know if she was so excited about coming and visiting us because she doesn't know you yet. But here's the good news. Maybe you can go to Chili's, and if this girl comes up to you and she's holding an orange and white pen, then you follow up and invite her. And maybe she's like, wow, does everybody go to that church? And we're like, everybody but you, and we need you to come and join us. I just love that. That's, that's all we're doing. We're just planting seeds and watering, right, all in the community. We're just spreading the love of Jesus, even if it's just giving an ink pen, because it gives somebody else a chance to follow up with more. Don't you love our community? <laughs> the good, bad, and ugly of our community. Listen, God placed us here at this time just as he saw fit. And this is what I want, the, the big idea behind week two of, of our uh, prayer. That, you know, and, and so all this week, we're just praying for our community. The first week, we were praying about us, our families, our churches, our children. You know, just God bless our ministry, our church, our families. And this week, we're expanding it. So here are the eight, the seven things that we're praying, starting with day eight. We want to pray God's kingdom to reign. We want God to, to more in, in, our, in our community, to do more among us. Uh, we want to pray against strongholds because, as you know, right, the enemy is, is, has so many people doing so much wrong. And, and he's got these strongholds, and we need to break them in the name of Jesus, right? If we're going to have impact in our, on our community. Lift is our foster care ministry, hurting children. And man, God is really opening up some big doors there. You'll be hearing about that more. A healthy communities, this is our neighborhoods and, and our streets, uh, our schools. Man, we start back school this week. Aren't you excited? <laughs> so, uh, so we're praying for renewal, right? And our teachers and our students and just that God will just be uh, blow fresh you know, in our community for businesses to grow, better paying jobs, right? And, and, and more opportunities for you to secure your family with your finances and for the body of Christ to be unified. Bunch of churches. Don't you wish we would all work together, right? We could have a greater impact. So those are the things we're praying for in our community this week. And what we want to pray is that God just expand our influence. And we want you to reign in our community. So that's about our message today. So there's this guy. And it's over in Luke chapter 10. And he goes to Jesus and he says, Hey, uh, Lord, Jesus, I, I want to go to heaven. What do I need to do to go to heaven? And Jesus gave him the answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And he's like, I've been doing that since I was a kid. 
But wanting to justify himself, he said, so explain more of this to me, verse 29. Who is my neighbor? Tell me more about my neighbor. So Jesus enters into a conversation about how can he help us be better in our community? Who is our neighbor? And so he goes into this story. Well, let me just tell you a story and you tell me who is the best neighbor in the story. A man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves. They robbed him. They beat him. They left him for dead. A little while later, a priest is walking by, sees the man, but passes by on the other side. A little while later after that, a Levi was walking. He saw him. He looked, but he kept on walking. Now, these are the two spiritual leaders in the community. Both of them too busy to help out somebody. And then he said, and then along came a Samaritan. Now, if you would have been in the audience, Jesus is talking to a bunch of those who are involved in Judaism, Jewish faith. They did not like the Samaritans at all. And as soon as he said, well, a little while later, a Samaritan walked by. They all went, boo. I hope he doesn't go over and help. I would rather die than have a Samaritan help me. Oh. But the Samaritan saw him, stopped, and had pity on him. He went over, bandaged his wounds, put uh, ointments, gave him something to drink, put him on his donkey, carried him down to an inn, to a place where they could care for him. And he gave the innkeeper a couple of coins, silver coins, and he said, you take care of him. I'm going on a journey. When I come back, I want him to be well, and whatever I owe you, I'll pay it. And then Jesus looked at them and said, so tell me, who was the real neighbor in the story? And they couldn't even say the word Samaritans, so they just said, it was the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go and do the same. That's what I'm calling you to. If you really want to be a neighbor, you want to know how I define neighborhood, how I define what it is that you do and your response to the hurting people around you. You go and show mercy to the people around you. Now, how big is our community? I mean, we're all here and we're all in a church and we've all come from all these different places. So I know, you know, Gabby's in the audience today and she's out in Navarre. You know, we have, uh, see the Lees and they live way up in Beulah, probably a mile from the Alabama line. Uh, Fred Tate, then we're here. We have uh, the Campbells. They just had their baby. They live up in Milton and, and Pace. We have some people who live at the Harringtons here up in Molino, all the way to the Wise, uh, Mark and Anita Wise, they're down in Pensacola Beach. That's a big territory. And so here's, it's, I'm not talking about, he's not talking about who lives down your street or in your subdivision or your community. We are a community. And God has sprinkled us, just scattered us all over this community. And so he's like, I placed you there. So that we could bring this community closer to God. And so today when we're looking at our community, we're talking about from the state line to Navarre. That's a big territory, right? And what are we doing with that? 
And so he's like, I'm, I'm giving you a commission. I'm trying to tell you. And he struggled with the apostles with this. And I don't know why Jesus struggles so much with this, but he's like, I, I need to get you to see that, yes, there's something I want to do for you, but that's just week one in your prayer life. Week two is I want to use you to reach all those other people who are hurting all around you. And the apostles struggled with this. And just like we struggle with it. Do you remember in John chapter 20, there was these two blind men. And, and they're, they're like, Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. And they're crying out, help us, help us. And the apostles were with Jesus and they were walking. And the apostles tell them to shut up. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe, that, maybe we shouldn't use the yes word in church, I guess. So, so uh, hush, be quiet, leave him alone. He's important. He's got places to go and people to see and important things to do. Be quiet. And Jesus is like, no, don't silence them. He goes over and he puts his hand on their eyes and he heals them. It's like the apostles, they're just, they're on their way doing things. We got ministry to accomplish. And so for them, he's looking at this blind man and he's like, you know what? He's, he's not good enough. We don't, we're not going to stop and pause and help somebody like that. Because he's, what we got, we're doing big things. And he's not good enough. Remember the little children in Matthew chapter 19? Jesus is gathered around and he's, he's given a message. And now he's sitting. And, and these parents want their children to be blessed by Jesus. Which parents don't want their children to be blessed by Jesus, right? And so they're like telling their little children, go to Jesus, go to Jesus. And so these little kids are now running up to Jesus. And the apostles go over and the Bible says they scold the parents. Keep your children away from Jesus. They're not important enough for him. He's an important man. That's, that's, get your kids away from him. Jesus is like, stop. Let the kids come to me. Heaven belongs to them. So he plays with the kids, blesses them. And sends them on their way. So it's like the apostles are struggling. There are people they don't think are good enough for Jesus. Or their kids or their people who they don't think are important enough for Jesus. Over in the book of Luke chapter 9. There are these Samaritans. The Bible says that Jesus resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. Because he was preparing to go to Jerusalem and offer his life as a sacrifice for us, our sin, and, and our eternal future with His Father. But He had to go through Samar this little town in Samaria. I already told you how the Jews felt about the Samaritans, and they felt the same way about the Jews. So Jesus is going through this little village, and He tells His apostles, I want you to go into town and prepare a place where we can stay and just worship on our, on our way down to Jerusalem. The Samaritans ask Him, where are you going? And they said, we're going to Jerusalem. And the Samaritans, we don't like any of the Jews from Jerusalem. And so the Bible says they said, no, we don't want you here. Jesus got that a lot, right? Mark chapter 5, he gets it. Right? So he gets, we don't want you here. And Peter and John, do you remember what they said? They got all excited. Hey, Jesus, can we command fire to come down from heaven and burn them up? I'd have been like, That's, let's have a fire. Let's have a light show. Let's... Let's do some fireworks and burn these people up. Jesus is like, what, you want to get rid of people because you don't think they're nice enough? Is that what's in your heart? Is that how you view your community? We're not going to ever be around people that are mean. There was a Canaanite woman in, Mark chapter, in Matthew chapter 15. 
And this lady, her daughter was really hurting and really sick, and she wanted to get to Jesus. And so she goes, Jesus, I need you to help me. I need you to help my daughter. If you don't help my daughter, there's no hope for her. And she just starts begging. Jesus paused because he's trying to get his apostles to finally open their eyes to recognize the hurting needs of the people in the community. And so he just pauses and waits, and the apostles try to get rid of her. They physically try to get rid of her, and she's like, you get your hands off of me. Leave me alone. I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm going to Jesus because he he's going to help my daughter. And so she's like, would you help, would you help? And the apostles finally go to Jesus, and they say, would you get rid of her finally? Her begging is annoying us. She's just, she's too annoying. Man, Jesus is like, what have I got to do to open your eyes and see? That's why I came here. And if I can't get you to open your eyes to the mission that's in front of us, then we're not going to win in this eternal journey toward home. So I'm looking at all that. I'm like, man, how hard does Jesus have to work to get his apostles just to help simple people? These are just four stories. You can just continue reading. And it's almost like we believe that we're showing up with Jesus because of what you're supposed to do for me. And he's like, I do want to do something for you. But that's not where it ends. I want to know that I can bless you so that you can go help other people. And then it begins to hit me. I remember where I was when Jesus rescued me. I remember what was going on in my life. And I too knew that I was not good enough. I was not important enough. I was not nice enough. And I was too annoying. And he saved me anyway. What about you? So, let's look in our outline and have this conversation. What is our role in the community? So, number one, who saw what? I want you, now I want you to look at John chapter 9. And in John chapter 9, we've got this whole event, you know, where, uh, where Jesus is coming into the city. He's in Jerusalem, and he's with his apostles. And what I want you to, the first thing I want you to do is just, let's see who is in this intersection. So there's this one intersection, and there's this blind guy, and he's sitting there, and Jesus walks over. So let's just count how many people are in the intersection and what's going on. So as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Pause. So there's Jesus, that's one. And there's a blind man holding a sign. He can't read it. Anything helps. <laughs> right? And he's blind, and he's wanting, he's wanting to see Rabbi, his disciples ask him, pause, how many apostles did Jesus have? Twelve. So how many people are here in the scene so far? Fourteen. And his apostles, what did they see? An opportunity to help somebody hurting? What did they see? A theological question. Uh, uh, why was this man born blind? Was it his own sins or his parents' sins? Who sinned, he or his parents, that made him be born blind? And Jesus is like, what? Is, is that all you care? Do you not see a blind man? All you see is a theological discussion? It's like they were on their way to church. We don't have enough time to help somebody. We're, we're on our way to have an important discussion. I understand. Listen, they probably had great hearts, but they're not thinking. They're thinking, this is all about me. I just want to know. I got this big question. People have debated it forever, and I just want to know the answer. 
Was it him or his parents? Is that what caused him to be blind? Jesus is like, neither. This happened so that God can be glorified. It's not about, it's not, this is not a theological discussion. And when you're looking at the hurting needs all around our community, you know, sometimes we ride by and our thoughts are, well, but for the grace of God, go I. It's almost like, well, man, I'm so glad that's not me. And we just keep going on our way. And God's like, are you good with that? Or you, we, we hear there's a, a family, Delish, and, and they're struggling, and they're, they're thinking. They're, they said, man, if somebody doesn't help us, we're going to divorce. And are we like, well, boy, we're going to stay away from that. Don't you talk to them. I don't want you getting caught up in all that mess. What's our role? Or when you pass by a cube at work, and you just pass by, and you see there's some show of emotion. Somebody's crying, or they're angry, and you can tell this has nothing to do with work. Do we just pass by on the other side? Or is our role different? So that, that's our conversation for today, right? So this is what's in front of us. Here's my question. How hard is God going to have to work with us before we begin to see he's calling us to the hurting needs of the people in our community. So now there are all these people in the intersection. So Jesus is like, it's not about that. So what does the Bible say next? Jesus reaches down, he spits in the ground, he makes some mud, he puts it on the guy's eyes. And then he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. So I know they're in Jerusalem. The guy goes and washes. And as he's washing the mud and all the stuff out of his eyes, he begins to see for the first time in his life. Now, that's amazing. And nobody has to help him with the directions on how to get back because he can see. And he rushes back, and he's like, I can see. I can see. I can't believe it. And a crowd starts to form. So that by the time you get to verse 8, tell me how many people are in the intersection now. His neighbors, pause, how many neighbors do you think the guy had? Five, maybe a minimum of four or five and a maximum of how many? Could have been the whole town. That's 600,000 people. Because at first it says his neighbors were there. Maybe it was five to 10, 15, maybe 20 tops. But then it says, and then there were others who knew him as the blind beggar. How many of you ride down the street see people, you know, holding up a sign on the side? Just raise your hand if you see people on the sides of certain intersections and you begin to recognize them. City of 600,000, they're not riding in cars, they're on donkeys and walking. They have a long time to see the people who are begging. How many people do you think stopped and said, huh, look at there. Is that the guy that was begging? Oh, that's not him. He just looks like him. I said, no, that's him. And he says, it's me, it's me. It was me. I was the one born, I was the one there, I was the one. They're like, oh, no, 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 no. You're like his twin brother. You look a lot like him, but I don't think it's you. Because they'd never really seen him with open eyes. Maybe he wore sunglasses. Maybe not. Were they invented back then? I don't. But they're debating. And they're all. How many people do you think are there? A town of 600,000. In a busy intersection. The apostles are there. I know there's 14. And then some of his neighbors. Maybe there are 10, 20, 30. Maybe we're now up to 40. And then other people are gathering around. And you know what it's like. What's going on? What's going on? There's a man who was blind and now he can see. Come on. Where? Where is he? Who is he? Oh, I've seen him before. I don't think that's him. 
And they're all debating it. And he's like, it's me, it's me. By the time you get down to verse 13, the conversation had gotten so big with so many people, they paused and they said, let's go and get the Pharisees. There were 6,000 Pharisees in Jerusalem at that time. Hey, Pharisees, this guy was born blind, we know, because we've seen him begging. I've known him. I'm his neighbor. I've seen him all his life. It's true. It's true. But now he can see. How many Pharisees do you think got involved? One? Come on, come on, come on. This is audience participation time. Take a guess. How many do you think would be interested in that story? And they started asking. I know it's more than one, three, thirty. It could have been three hundred. It could have been three thousand. It could have been six thousand. Who, who healed you? I don't know. It was some man. I think he's a prophet. Can't be a prophet. What day is this? When did he heal you? He healed, he healed me this morning, today. Today's the Sabbath. No prophet, no man of God would heal you on the Sabbath because that's against the law. He had to have a demon. Oh, that's funny. A work of God, a miracle happened in my life. And you think that that was the work of a demon. Now all the Pharisees are debating. What? What? How could this? Was it an act of God? Why was it on the Sabbath? Was it this man? Who is it? Where is he? Now you got a lot of people's attention. This is a very busy intersection. Until you get down to verse 18. And they're like, bring in his parents. So now here come his parents, and they're embarrassed. There are so many people in the intersection. I don't know how many. I just know it potentially could be thousands. It may have only been 50, 100. It's somewhere between 100 and 600,000. And they bring the parents in, and the Pharisees looked at them, and they said, Is this your boy? Was he born blind? And how is it that he can now see? Um, it is our son. He was born blind. And how is it that he can see? We don't know. Leave us out of it. Wow. You would think that their parents would be excited, overjoyed, celebrating what they'd probably been begging for all their life. But they couldn't. Because the Bible says next... They were scared they would be put out of the synagogue. The synagogue was the number one place. It was the number one business place. It was where they went to church, and it's where they did business. And they knew if we get kicked out of the synagogue, it's against the law. It's against the rules. Nobody can do business with us. We will lose everything. Stay out of it. Now, here's all the people in the intersection. There's a blind man, and all he wants is healing. He, he just wants to see. And then you've got all these neighbors and others all gathering around. Is it true? Is it true? Could it be the Messiah? Could there be real healing? Can there be life transformation? Is God real? And all they want is just the truth. And then you have the parents, and they're scared to death they're going to be rejected. They want to celebrate, but they can't because they think they're going to have to give up everything. And the two groups of people, the apostles and the Pharisees, 
the only ones in the whole group who should be trying to lead these hurting people to God, but they're all distracted by the by their own religion. We got questions. You don't break the law. This is the Sabbath. The Pharisees hated Jesus. And they had written a rule. Anybody that follows him, we're kicking out of the synagogue. You follow Jesus, and you're done. The apostles are like, what did we create? What did we start? What did we do? We just, we had our own blindness. We just couldn't see that there was a real man with real needs. We should have just helped his needs. But instead, we created all this drama. All these people are just looking for truth, needing healing, trying to get answers. And the ones who said that they knew God the most, the best, were not doing anything to help the hurting needs of the community. Now, what are we supposed to do? What is God calling us to do? What's our role in the community? On the back side of your outline, it just said, what's our role? And I think Jesus said it. I'm going to show it to you. This is verses 4 and 5. Jesus said, we must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. Because the night is coming and then no one can work. And he's like, I'm giving you an assignment. Hey, apostles. Hey, disciples. Hey, church. This is your assignment. I need you to help the hurting people. And and just like a teacher gives an assignment, there's a deadline to it. And and listen, we're we're if you're a parent and and one of your children is sitting up here and they're going back to school and they're going to come home tomorrow or Tuesday and the teacher is going to say, "I need you to turn to page 42 and answer all 15 questions and turn it in the next day." They've got an assignment. Are they going to get it done? Yes or no? <laughs> yeah, you better. You better. Because the teacher's going to say, and, it, and we're going to grade it, and you're going to get a grade. And if you're not keeping up with your assignment, you're not going to pass. And if you don't pass, you're not, right? There, and there's a deadline. And Jesus is saying, I've given you an assignment in the community. Are you taking it as serious as we want our students to take their homework assignment? And there's a deadline. The night is coming. Your time on earth is short. Jesus said, I have three years here. And let me tell you, I know what my role is. My role is to be the light of the world. And as long as I'm here, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to reach hurting people. What about you? Because in Matthew 14, what did Jesus say about you? You are, you're the light of the world. A city sat on a hill that cannot be hidden. Hidden from whom? Everybody, our community. If you know Jesus the best, if you know the way home, if you know grace and mercy and forgiveness, if you know unconditional love, how can you keep it to yourself? How can you hide it away in the four walls of this church? Don't we have a responsibility? So the end of the outline It says we have these three things. And these three things, the first one I want to say is pray about your contribution. What what, what is it that you're going to do? I I don't want God to have to work as hard 
to get us to open our eyes to our assignment, to our mission, as he did the apostles. Because this community, we're going to be held responsible for what happens to this community. And God's going to ask, what did you do with the gifts that I gave you? What did you do? I set you in a church of, of love, unconditional love. You had such a great family. Why did you keep it to yourself? What's going to be your contribution? Maybe it's just taking an ink pen to Chili's, you know, and giving it away so that somebody can have an opportunity to speak up behind you. Maybe it's to say, stop and sit down with the person that you sit next to and say, I see that, that, that you're emotional. You may not want to talk about it, but I'm praying for you. And if you ever do, you know, I'd, I'd love to help you. Or maybe your neighbor. Or it may be someone on the street. It may be someone who cuts you off in line. <laughs> and you're like, hey, that's not, you cut me. I was here first. Thank you, get behind me. It's like, let's just show a little mercy. Because God's trying to save the person who's being rude. But they're not nice enough. I know. Neither were you when I first started working with you. What's going to be your role? John fifteen sixteen. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Hear these words? I appointed you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask. Wow. He's like, I'm appointing you. I'm sending you. Go and bear lasting fruit, eternal fruit. And I'll go with you. Number two, expect resistance. Expect resistance. And here's the big idea. Satan is in charge of this world, man. He's out and he has all these people in his grasp. He's seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. He's ripping apart families. He's turning children away from their parents and away from God. He's causing people to fight. I mean, all kinds of things. Expect resistance. Expect that he's going to attack you. If you go into his territory and try to save people who are firmly in his grasp, expect that he's not going to like it and he's going to attack you in the process just expect it but number three you got to know your identity in christ jesus because you are a holy nation you are a royal priesthood you are god's own possession you are a child of the king and he has armed you and equipped you with the power to go and rescue people in the name of jesus christ Amen? Can I tell you a good story that just happened in first service? There was a guy that I met. He's been coming to church here now two times. His name is Willie. Willie was sitting right over here. And I just went up and just met him. I just, hey, my name is Rick. And my name is Willie. Willie, have you been to church here before? Yeah, I came last week. Liked it and wanted to come back. Man, God bless you, Willie. What do you do for a living? Well, I work in the trauma unit in a hospital. Works at Sacred Heart. And so I, I said, wow. You get to see the worst in our community. He said, yeah, I work with the 19 and years of age and older. And I see a lot of trauma. He said, in the last two weeks, there's been a lot of bad stuff in our community. And we need to be praying for our community. Okay. And so I was in the middle of my sermon, mind you. I just call him out. I'm like, I met Willie, blah, 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 blah. And I said, hey, Willie, let me ask you a question. I'm going to put you on the spot. Have you ever prayed with people who came into the trauma unit there? And he said, yes, sir. While I was talking to him, I'm going to cry. <laughs> when it was all over and we were serving communion, there was another family who was here. 
And they came up to me and they said, you're not going to believe it. Our son, I'm, I'm telling you, the tr- our son, and he's standing right there, had a car to fall on his head. And he should have died. And he showed me the picture. And they said, Willie was his trauma nurse. And he prayed with them. And they reunited. This happened almost two years ago. And they're here at the same church at the same time. And they together got to celebrate God's healing in their son's life. I'm just amazed at God. And amen to that, right? That was so cool. Listen, you are a child of the King. You go and live like it. You offer God's grace to somebody in our community. And there are other people who are going to find grace and healing and forgiveness. And two years later, they might find themselves in the same church celebrating what God has done in their life. Don't you want to be a part of that? You've got to belong to Him. You've got to be a Christian. You've got to be sold out. Whatever I can do to help you become a Christian today and reach out to God and say, God, I want to belong to you. I want to do something dangerous in the name of Jesus Christ and rescue hurting people. Do that. And then as we leave today, what is your role, O child of the King? Can I pray with you?